Where do you think those emotions Where do those emotions come from? Yeah, because you're in church, so you know the answer. <laughs> they, come, they come from God. All the joy that you feel on the inside of you, when you see innocence, when you see infants like this, that originated from God. I remember when our children were born, each individual child, there is a unique joy for each one of the children. They're all so unique. I remember when Elliot was first born, a firstborn. I mean, it is indescribable. I mean, I was right there with my catcher's mitt. I mean, I was, come on, boy, come on out of there, right? And I mean, when he arrived, it is a miracle. And I'm not overstating it by using that word. It's creation. I was, I was overwhelmed. It's just the elation is unbelievable. And then when the second child was born, all I saw was the profile and it had my chin. So I thought, oh, another boy. Unfortunately, it was a girl for her. I mean, it was unfortunate. It was Isabella. And I thought, oh, Lord, don't give her my chin. Seriously? And it was a girl. And I mean, we were just so elated with joy and thanksgiving. How many of you have ever stood at your child's door while they're sleeping and just watch them? Raise your hand. What is that about? It's kind of creepy, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, you're just staring and, you, and, you, and you're watching the chest go up and down, especially when they're an infant. You want to make sure they're alive, right? You see the chest going up and down. It's like, thank God, because they're kind of still. Not Elliot. When Elliot was in the bassinet right next to Hope and I were in bed and we put Elliot in the bassinet and you can't see him except this, was, this is how you knew Elliot was alive. Awake. The, awake and alive. The only thing you could see out of the bassinet was this. <laughs> Seriously, I thought. He's going to be trouble. He right there is going to think he's going to rule the house. This is what he would do, just stick his fist up. Do you know and really believe that the emotions that you had when you saw those children up there that you don't even know is the exact same way God feels about you? Just let that sink in for a minute. It's going to just start breaking up shame. It'll start releasing all the good stuff. A song Mark's saying today, Abba. We're going to look at that today because that profound revelation that Jesus brought to us really rocked the religious world, probably like nothing else that he introduced he knew how god felt about him his father and our goal today is for you and i to begin understanding how god feels about us how god feels about you
It will cause you to run to him, just throw yourself into his arms. Religion is just going to get a really bad name during this series. Last week, the message was, who are you? Today, it's whose are you? Well, let's go to this big chunk of scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. And this is the explosive revelation that Paul the Apostle, who was the most religious man on the planet, so zealous that he's murdering Christians because he hates Christianity so much. This new religion that, that, you know, that, that exploded on the scene. And Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He um, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Uh, he was a sect of the Sanhedrin, a religious uh, sect that were the most religious. They were, he was in control, he was powerful, he was legalistic, and he was just violent against the Abba lovers, these Christians. And yet Jesus appears to him, gives him a choice. I either kill you now or you serve me. And he chose rightly. And Jesus reveals to Paul the Father. And so now Paul is exploding on the scene, not as a murderer of Christians, but as the leader of the church world. And his primary revelation is God's grace and his fatherhood in our lives. So let's dive into this. Ephesians chapter 1. Ask the Holy Spirit as I'm reading this right now where you are. Just ask the Holy Spirit to open your understanding. Turn the lights on. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Just tell him. Say, Lord, I need this revelation. Open it up to me. Holy Spirit, I give myself to you right now. Teach me. As I'm reading Ephesians 1, 1 through 6, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Everybody say grace to you and peace from God out loud. Grace to you and peace from God. See, that's what God's bringing to us. Grace and peace. There is no peace without grace. From God, our who? Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, not cursed us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We're going to look at that next week. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You've got to quit being insecure about God, loving and accepting you. He did it before you send your first sin. Look at that. Chose us in him. I picked that one. I picked that one. I picked that one. You got picked. Before the foundation of the world, before he did anything good or bad... That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He does that part. Having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. Yeah, say it again. As sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Mm, God loves it when you're running around in his house. Which is the kingdom of God. To the praise of the glory of by his of his grace, by which this is a big chunk we're going to end with today, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Would you say this with me? I am accepted by God in Christ Jesus. Say it this way. I am already accepted by God. So just settle down. Yeah, just tell yourself, just settle down. Just say, quit being religious. Just say it to yourself. Come on, talk to your soul. Quit being religious. Quit trying to earn God's love. Say it. Come on, talk to yourself now. Yourself needs some preaching today. Come on. Just tell yourself, settle down. Quit being religious. Quit trying to perform for God's love. I'm already accepted. 
in the beloved. Now you can just shout hallelujah. Yeah, see, that's what that said right there. That's just John's way of saying it. The Expanded Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, for those that are wondering where I get my stuff from. The word father in the Greek is pater. We looked at this last week. This is where we ended, and I said this is where we start for this week. For This week, this is our starting block. The word father in the Greek is pater. That's the word we get family from. So all family flows from father. And we saw this in Ephesians 3. It says the whole family in heaven and earth is derives its name from the Father in heaven. We come from Him. And the word Father means shamer, judger, corrector, hater, waiting for you to make a mistake. Is that what the word Father means? Abuser, neglector, absent. You're a nuisance to me. You're like a fly that's buzzing around my head. Is that what the word Father means? What's it mean? Say it out loud with me. Nourisher, protector, upholder, and originator of a family of persons animated by the same spirit as himself. Now, many of you, many of us, all of us, let me say it this way, need, no matter how wonderful your father was, all of us need the Holy Spirit to continually fix the picture of who God really is in our lives. And the clearer you see him, the freer you become because you came from him and he's good. This word, uh, originator, of persons animated by the same spirit as himself. You know how your kids walk like you, talk like you, laugh like you. You know, this kind of like are a part of you. Well, this word father is attributed to uh, a, a few people in the Bible. One is Abraham. He's called the father of faith. His son had tremendous faith. His grandson had tremendous faith. In fact, in Timothy it says, The faith that was in your grandmother and was also in your mother is now in you. See, what, who you are trans, transfers down into the next generation. And so, uh, and the, not just the bad stuff, the good stuff. So you can be happy about that. So here, Abraham, he, he's called our father of faith. When you're operating in faith, you're called a, a seed of Abraham. A son or daughter of faith. Satan is also called a father in the Bible. Did you know that? Jesus called him the father of lies. That means the originator of persons animated by the same spirit of, as himself. So those who lie are literally agreeing with Satan, who is the father, the originator of lies. That's why you do not want to lie. You don't want to lie on the taxes. You don't want to lie to your parents. You don't want to lie to your spouse. You don't want to lie to your boss. You don't want to lie. Because when you lie, you're lining up with the father of lies and it begins to shape your soul. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. You've got to stay in the light and stay honest and stay clean. Jesus said, if your eyes evil, your whole inside is going to be evil. If your eyes good, your whole inside is going to be good. So we, we want to line up with the spirit of truth, not the father of lies. The preacher of the gospel and a teacher in the Bible is referred to as a father. He stands in a father's place. Let me back up for a second. Uh, Jesus called the Pharisees, who are also called fathers in the Bible, they were the spiritual fathers of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Jesus called them the fathers. Father, well, the society called them religious fathers. Jesus called them sons of Satan. <laughs> so he wasn't out, you know, he didn't read the book, How to you know, Win Friends and Influence People. He told the religious leaders of the day, they call you fathers, I'm calling you sons of Satan. Because you are of your father, Satan, who is the father of lies. Because they were, they were lying 
to the people about who the Father was so that they can control them and keep them in religious bondage. So Jesus comes along and he begins to liberate people from religion through this relation, the revelation I'm teaching today. A preacher is, or a pastor is, is considered a father in the fact, in the, in the, in the sense that he stands in a father's place caring for spiritual children. It's not the same as a mere title of honor which the Lord prohibited. It's a function. A spiritual father. And then finally, God is used in the Bible as, as the term father. And it is because God is considered father in relation to those who have been born anew, born again, and are so are believers and imitators of their father. So, for us to understand who we are, this was a a big part of last week's message. For us to understand who we are, we really need to understand who God is as our Father and that we come from Him. This is what, it, uh, this isn't in the PowerPoint, but listen to this powerful message that uh, Shelly Cowpersmith, a uh, 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 member of our senior leadership team overseeing the women's ministry here at the church, Shelly sends me the scripture. She said, This really agrees with what you're teaching right now. Listen to this out of the message translation, Romans 12 4. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to read it again. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Let me ask you parents a question in here. And this is a sincere question. Would you go to the ends of the planet to save your child? I mean, you think about the horrific reality of the parents whose, whose sons and daughters have been kidnapped by ISIS. The journalists who have been beheaded. I mean, think about being the parent and your child is taken captive. They would do anything to rescue their child. And so would you. Would you, let me ask you this sincerely, would you empty your bank account to the last penny to save your child's life? Where does that come from? Would you die for your child? I remember when my 21, I was 16, my brother was 21, and uh, his best friend ran him over with a car by accident. They were drunk, just being stupid, and uh, they were playing chicken and... My brother got ran over and he died on the operating table because the hospital didn't have his blood. So at the funeral, after everybody left, the funeral was an open, open casket. My dad climbed into the casket and said to God, take my life and let him have his. And my dad was a strong man of faith. He really believed that God would do it. And God didn't do it. And it confused my dad because my dad didn't know that he didn't control the planet that God does. That was one of his weaknesses. And uh, so he concluded that God wasn't powerful enough. It was interesting. Years, so he became an atheist at that point for 25 years. And uh, it, was hor- it was horrible. His next 25 years were horrible because he was living with incredible bitterness at God because he wouldn't exchange lives. That's, what a, that's, the, that's to the extreme a parent would go. As you heard last week, he eventually came back to God because he realized I cannot live God without God in my life doesn't work. It's a great story how he turned around, but I don't have time for that today. 
Um, well, let me say this. This might help somebody. I was asking the Lord, give me, a, give me an insight to help my dad. My dad was a, a, a home developer. He developed divisions of uh, thousands of homes in the state of Ohio. And I remember I was, I was praying and said, Lord, give me an illustration for my dad. So he gave it to me. I was in the car with him that day, and I said, Dad, let me ask you a question. If you sold a home to somebody, and another family came and sat there, put their baggage, their, their luggage on the front porch of that home and said, we want this home, would you give that home to them? And he said, absolutely not. I said, why not? And he said, because I sold it to this other family. They have the title deed to it. It's their house. I said, exactly. God could have transferred your life for Don Allen's, but he would not because Don has his life to live, and you have your life to live. It wasn't a power issue. It was a personal stewardship and personal responsibility of your individual life issue. That was one of the things that just clicked in my dad's mind that helped unlock him to come back to Papa God. So you and I would give our lives for our children. And that's exactly what your father in heaven did for you. God saw you and I as his children. And he knew that we were lost. And he came down himself And he didn't climb into a casket. He climbed up on a cross for us. I was um, trying to witness to my neighbor, share share faith with her. She's she's Catholic, and I wanted to talk to her about the good news. She also has, um, she had to go in for a severe back surgery this week, and, uh, so I kept talking to her over the fence, you know, love thy neighbor. And, uh, and I kept trying, to, kept trying to work it out to where she could come to sit on our front porch so I could pray with her, healing prayer. And uh, then I also wanted to share the gospel with her. And we kept texting back and forth, and she kept not being available. I can see her right over there. Hi. But she's not available. And uh, so on the day we were supposed to meet, this Monday, this last Monday, we were supposed to meet. She texted me Monday morning, I'm still in Riverside. I'm sorry, I can't make it. And Tuesday, which is this Tuesday, she was supposed to have her operation. And so I was really disappointed because I really wanted to share the gospel with her. Monday evening, Hope's at school, and I'm making dinner for the family. I'm right in the middle of making dinner for six kids, and I think to myself, I need to go to the store to buy a loaf of bread for lunches tomorrow. So I said, hey, Nana, I'm going to go buy some bread for, for lunches tomorrow. And as I'm leaving, I'm thinking, why would you do it right now? That didn't make sense. I'm in the line checking out with a loaf of bread, and I look over, and to the next checkout lane is Sherry, my neighbor. And she looked at me, and she goes, John! I said, Sherry! And she said, don't you leave until I get done here. And we went out front, and we got to talking right there by the carts, you know, right at Albertsons, where everybody's walking in and out. And we got to talking, and uh, she was so full of anxiety and fear about the operation. And I could just see it in her. She was just so full of fear. And she felt guilty because she wasn't able to take care of her, her mother, who's also ailing. And she just felt, she's like, I don't have time to take care of myself. I mean, she has to go in for a serious back uh, uh, surgery. I mean, she just hobbles around like this. And she's so concerned about taking care of herself. Some of you have that issue where you just feel like, you think stewardship is selfishness. You got those confused. Taking care of yourself is good stewardship. Right? You change the oil in your car, the engine's going to lock up. Your engine's locking up because you think taking time out for yourself is selfish. It's not. It's smart. You can't be any good for anybody if you're not taking care of yourself. It's good stewardship. Don't confuse stewardship and selfishness. 
Selfishness is when you're being selfish. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to teach on that. I got other things to teach. Anyway, what I said to her was, do you have a, do you have a child? She goes, I have a daughter. I said, if your daughter was in need, would you do whatever you could to meet her need? She said, absolutely. I said, well, do you know that you're God's daughter? And I said, let me ask you this. You're not going to die after this operation because that's what she was afraid of or being paralyzed. I said, let's say 20 years from now you die. Are you going to go to heaven or not? And she said, absolutely, I am. I said, how do you know? She goes, because I'm a good person. That's usually the answer you would get from a person who's in religion, right? And I said, well, actually, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are all going to hell. We are all lost. We have all sinned against God. There's no way you get into heaven. I said, let me ask you a question. If you can get into heaven by being a good person, then why did Jesus die on the cross? And she said, well, because there are people who need their sins forgiven. And I said, yeah, and guess what? You're one of them. And I said, let me tell you, let me tell you something else. And then I told her the good news, which was, you, if you, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? And she said, well, as a Catholic, I do believe in Jesus. Have you ever invited him into your heart? She said, yes, I have. I said, okay, let me tell you something. You are his daughter, and you're going to get into heaven, not because you're a good person, but because Jesus Christ was good on your behalf. Have you ever sinned? Yes. Okay. Well, Jesus paid your price on the cross. And your father in heaven already has you wrapped in his arms. You're already a daughter and you're already going to heaven because of Jesus. And I saw it hit her. Her eyes sparkled. She smiled. I mean, I saw the joy like that fast. Come on, or the good, the good news. And she goes, she looks at me and she smiles at me and she goes, I like that. And I said, that's what she did. And I said, that's the good news, Sherry. And she said it again. I like that. And I prayed for her, laid her hands on her right there in front of God and everybody. And, um, and I, I wanted her to be 100% healed. I don't know if she was. She, had a, she went in Tuesday to have the operation. I haven't gotten a report from her yet. But the most important thing is that she was able to receive Christ and know the good news and get out of that labor of working to be a good person to hopefully one day when you meet God, get into heaven. That has been completely removed from her. And here's the point. It was understanding that she is a daughter of God that released her into knowing that God is with you as your daddy. It was her most vulnerable, most fearful, most anxious moment of her life. And it was the revelation that God is your daddy. You're his daughter. He loves you in the exact same way that you love your daughter. And he's there for you right now. And I can see the peace just coming over her. I remember I was in India. This whole village came to Christ. All these Hindus forsaking their gods coming to Christ. And there was, there was all these young people. All these teenagers that are around me, and they're all giving their life to Jesus. And I see this one teenage girl over here by herself, and she's not participating. I finally interviewed her through an interpreter. I said, what's the problem? And she said, I can't receive your God. I said, why not? She said, look at these marks on my arms. She had all these scars, and she said, my house gods did this to me. When they get mad at me, this is what they do to me. It's a real deal. She wasn't making it up, and she wasn't a cutter. I mean, there are real demons that really hurt people. And in India and in Africa and China and they're like more advanced than we are spiritually. They understand the spirit realm. We're very clinical and scientific here. So we just don't believe in that stuff. But it's real. And she said, I can't because my house gods would get mad at me. And I could not convince her that my God is more powerful than your house gods. You will have authority over them. And 
My God will become your father and you will become his daughter and he will protect you. Just like that testimony I gave out of Mark's book last week about that Hindu saying, I know this is your God because my gods would never love me the way I'm feeling loved right now by your God. And I wasn't able to lead her to the Lord because she did not know God as father. It's, 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 a, it's a tragedy. As you and I become to a greater revelation of this truth, you'll find it producing a deep satisfying trust in your heart. And that is the key. Because listen, look at this next phrase. The quality of your relationship with God will be in direct proportion to your growing trust in God. Trust is the issue on the planet. You're born with your fist clenched like this. And your entire life, God is trying to pry your hands open and get you to just relax. And it usually doesn't happen until you draw your last breath. (sighs) And now you're dead. I mean, all of life is about trust. Can you trust your friends to be there for you? Or are they going to turn on you? How many of you have ever been betrayed by a friend? Woo, that one hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, and it lowers your ability to trust, doesn't it? Now you're becoming cynical, and now you're becoming a little more self-protective. Can you trust your spouse to be faithful to you? Some of you have experienced the betrayal of a spouse cheating on you. That's a knife in the heart. And your trust begins to erode, and now you're not, you're not trusting any man, any woman. Can you trust your kids not to lie to you? Probably not. It erodes the foundation of your relationship. And they line up with a father of lies. Can you trust your doctor to know what he or she is doing? You hope so. Can you trust your mechanic not to tell you you need a catalytic converter when you don't so he or she can make more money? Can you trust your business partner not to rip you off? Can you trust your boss to give you the raise that you deserve and not to overlook you? Can you trust your employees not to cheat on company time with texting and personal calls and coming in late and leaving early? Can you trust your government leaders to be serving you and not themselves? Can you trust your spiritual leaders? That's a big one. Trust is the big kahuna of life. That is the big issue. And trust is never more needed than when you are the most vulnerable. When you have to place your hands Place your life into the hands of another person. This is why we really want control of our own lives. We don't like people telling us what to do because we we don't trust them to have our best interest in mind. And we don't trust that they know the best way to do things. So I want to control my life. And so when you get into a situation where you're not in control, you have to trust. Like the zip line, the Hope and I took 3,000 feet in the, in the, uh, the, the rainforest down in Costa Rica. You're on a zip line. Right? I mean, you are trusting the harness, or you're trusting the person that they know that this harness is secure. And I have a fireman over here, also a first responder. You probably think it's really stupid to be harnessed up 3,000 feet above the rainforest just for a thrill, right? No? You're good with that? Okay, we have a physical therapist over here. (laughs) Do you think that's stupid? That's dumb, isn't it? Because you have to piece this back together. And whisper in our ears, you're doing the therapy. That was stupid. And what? And you did the zip lining. Oh, at, at your wedding. Okay, great. All right. 
Can you trust when you step on an airplane? Every time you step on an airplane, you're trusting the mechanics. You're trusting the pilot. You're trusting. I mean, that's huge trust. Have you ever been? How many of you have ever been on an op- operating table? Raise your hand. That is like the ultimate, isn't it? You're laying there, the lights on you, and you see the guy with the mask on looking down at you. You're like sinking into his eyes. You're needing assurance and security. You're needing to know, truly believe it's the right medication. They're going after the right leg. (laughs) I mean, they're, you know, I mean, you are trusting them. I mean, you feel so vulnerable when you're on an operating table. It's all about trust. You're literally giving your life into the hands of another person. This, when you're at your most vulnerable, and some of you are right there right now in your life, or you will be from time to time in a really vulnerable place, those are the times when your revelation of God as your Father are going to be the most critical. Because to the degree that you trust God as your Papa is to the degree that you will have peace. To the degree you don't trust God is to the degree your anxiety level will go up. And I'm going to tell you something. My anxiety level goes up and down all the time. And I realize when I'm anxious and I'm laying in bed at night and I'm not sleeping because I got anxiety coursing through my system, I'm thinking, you got to trust God. And I'm saying to myself, I know that. <laughs> and my own sermons come up in my mind and plague me. We all, we know it, but you got to connect to it, right? And this is where Jesus blew the religious world away. Because they were calling God, God, when he showed up on the scene. Do you know what word Jesus used when he showed up on the scene and he talked about God? The Aramaic word, Abba, which is the word we use for father when you're a little baby. Daddy. Oh, that made them mad. How dare you think you could call God daddy? It's equivalent. It literally, translation in our English language is dada. And the time that Jesus used this phrase, it's used three times in the New Testament. The first time Jesus used this phrase was when he was in his most vulnerable state. Mark fourteen thirty six, And Jesus said, Abba, I belong to you. That's what he was. That's what he was saying right here. Abba, Jesus is saying. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about to be crucified. Abba, Father. It was Abba, Pater. All things are possible for you. He knows God's greatness. Take this cup away from me. Any of you ever prayed that before? Nevertheless, that shift right there, that word right there, nevertheless, that word cannot be uttered out of your mouth without a revelation of Abba. That pivoting point right there. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Without a revelation that God ooze and awes over you when he sees you, ah. Oh, without that sense, without that knowing that God is your dada, your papa, your abba. You and I will not have the trust level deep enough to say, you take complete control. 
of my life. I completely relinquish control because I trust you. You're my dad, dad. The peace that comes with that is profound and overwhelming. I know because I've experienced it just a couple times in the last 33 years of walking with God, last 30 years. No, I'm kidding. Experienced it more than that. But I know when I am and I know when I'm not walking in that. How about you? Raise your hand. There are times where you have experienced that kind of trust and the peace that comes, and then the panic attacks are on the other side, right? Jesus walked in this peace. How could he let himself be crucified by his own creation? If he didn't trust in the Gemara, which is the rabbinical commentary on the Mishnah, the traditional teaching of Jews, it is stated that slaves were forbidden to address the head of a family by the title daddy or Abba. It approximates a personal name in contrast to Pater, which is father. Abba is the word framed by the lips of infants and represents unreasoning trust, unreasoning trust. Do you know the first word Gary Mancini is out today? He's on a business trip. Do you know? That the first, when Gary Mancini, one of the senior leaders in our church, when he received his prayer language speaking in other tongues, which we believe is still existent today, in existence today, when Gary Mancini received his prayer language, he got one word, which he did not know what it was until he learned the Bible. Do you know what word God gave him as his first word in his spiritual language? Can you guess? Abba. How precious is that? He didn't know what he was saying. He would just, in his prayer time, he'd be going, Abba, 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 Abba. That's the only word he got. How precious is that? Look at what... uh, Peter says regarding you and I. First Peter 2, verse 2 and 3. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The word of God is like milk to a newborn baby. That's what it says right there. If you are not in the word of God, feeding on the word of God, you are spiritually dry. You are spiritually malnutritioned. It is impossible to stay strong spiritually without reading, meditating on, memorizing, feeding on the words of your father. They literally are spiritual milk to your spirit. The Bible says you young men have overcome the Satan because you have, are strong because the word of God abides in you. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word. Jesus said the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. That's why reading the Bible isn't a religious exercise. It is life. It is strength. It is nourishment. As newborn babes... Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you've tasted the Lord is gracious. On this trust issue, this is the big thing today. On this trust issue. Last week I'm standing here worshiping before the service. Francisco, who who has a gift of prophecy in the house, he didn't know what I was going to teach on. And he came up to me and he said, I saw a picture and even drew it of a title deed 
And all I saw was it was a title deed and it was blank. But I saw someone sign it. And he says, who does that? Nobody does that. You don't sign a title deed that's blank. You read every letter on it, all the fine print, and you get your lawyer to read it with you to make sure what you're signing your name to, you agree with. But what Francisco saw was, you and I, he didn't know what I was teaching on, but I'll, I'll translate it. When you and I come to God with the revelation that we are his children, you're his son, his daughter, and he's your Abba, he's your Papa, he's your Daddy, that he... Ooh, ooze over you, that he would protect you with his very life, which he did and does. Every morning when you wake up, you can just sign at the bottom line of an empty page and say, this day, you get it right, and I trust you. So I'm going to close with this piece. You know, the other two places, and then we're going to sing that song, Abba. You know, those other two places where the word Abba is used in the New Testament, it's only used in three places. One is when Jesus was in his most vulnerable state. And he says, Abba, Daddy. I trust you. This is just going to blow you away. The other two places it's used. Romans 8, 15 and 16. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And then in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Mark, will you join us up there? Yeah. Let's just let Mark go up there by himself, if that's all right. Or we could have the band. All right, band, go on up there. Sometimes I like the band to be able to receive a word like this rather than having to work. But hopefully you guys can uh, worship Play and worship and be abified all at the same time. That's my new word. I just made it up. I like it. I coined that. That's mine. Abba, you can share it, but Galatians four, four through seven. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or set free those who were under the law. Performing for God's love. That's what the law is. That we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. You know somebody doesn't have a relationship with God when they're calling him the man upstairs. You know that, right? That's, 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 that's a clue. Yeah. Oh, I got to deal with the man upstairs. Really? It sounds like a landlord.
You know, we may not be like the Indian gal, the Hindu gal that has house gods that are bruising and cutting her and beating her up. We may not have a struggle knowing that God's better than that. You may not even have a struggle knowing that God is Father. Or maybe you don't even struggle knowing that God is the Abba, especially right now, since I just taught this and you see it from the scriptures. But the question is, who is he to you? Can you actually use the word Abba or Daddy when you are talking to him? That's really the litmus test, isn't it? It's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? That's the Lord right there. You see that? That's probably my signal to stop preaching too. Anthony, stop that. Don't affirm. But listen, this really is the question. And I'm going to ask you to do it in just a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity as Mark leads us in song. This may be the first time you've ever called God daddy. I want you to get past the uncomfortableness of it and start to do it because Jesus Christ did it. So it's fair. And Jesus' spirit is in you if you've received him as your savior. And it literally says the spirit within you, the son of God who's in you, the spirit of the son of God is in you if you've received Christ as your savior. And that spirit wants to say Abba. He just needs your lips to, to, to partner with him in it and not fight him. Rather than this distant, ah, Father, Father God, or this real uncomfortable, weird man in the sky, man upstairs thing, I'm going to ask you this morning to allow yourself to be used by the Spirit that's in you, the Spirit of the Son of God, and say, Abba. And even don't use the Aramaic term, because we're not Aramaic, because that's, that's kind of getting around the point, right? Use the word daddy, or as Hope would say from Louisiana, dede, diddy. I don't, know how you, I don't even know how you spell that. Or dada. I'm going to read this last scripture again. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave to religion, but God's child. And since you are a child, he's also made you an heir. And that is where we are going to jump off next week, is that you are an heir to the kingdom of God. Not a beggar, not a slave, an heir, and a joint heir to the kingdom of God. This morning, maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I want to say this to you. Gently but unapologetically, you are not a son or daughter of God if you have not received the older son in the family, Jesus Christ. Because you have sin in your life, or you have sinned sometime in your life. And the Bible says sin separates us from God. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death and eternal separation from God. But God doesn't want that. That's why he rushed to the earth. And allowed himself to be slaughtered on the cross on your behalf so that he could pay the price of your sins so that your records of sin could be completely erased and your, your rap sheet is completely uh, disappears from the courts of heaven. And then he, he 
breathes his spirit into you, the spirit of his son, and you at that moment become a son or a daughter of God. Jesus calls it being spiritually born again. You're born once physically, now you get to be born spiritually. And you become a son or a daughter of God at that instant. You're a creation of God, a beautiful creation made in his image, but you're not going to live eternally with God until you become a son or daughter of his. And today that gate is open. That door is open. The invitation is here. So if you need... To have the guilt and the burden of your sins rolled off. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to know you are a son or a daughter of God right now is that moment. Would you just close your eyes with me in the church today? And I want you to begin to meditate. If you're already a son or a daughter of God, begin to meditate on the reality of this. And I'm going to give an invitation right now. I'm going to throw the net to those of you who need to come into the family of God. If that's you today, this is not it. This is not it. We're not playing games here. This is about your eternal destiny. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. If that's you, you've never received Jesus as your Savior and you want to right now, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior this morning. I need my sins forgiven. I need to know I'm a son or a daughter of God. If that's you, will you raise your hand? Okay, I see your hand right there. Anybody else raise their hand? Say, I need to know this. I need salvation as a free gift. I need to know I'm a son or a daughter of God. Okay, pray this prayer with me for the, everybody pray this prayer for the person that just raised their hand. Say, Jesus, I receive you as my older brother. I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my God. I ask that you fill me with your spirit now as a son or daughter of God. You are my God from this day forward. Now let's all stand. And let's sing this song together. And as we sing this song, allow this revelation to fill your spirit. And you're going to find your trust and your peace rising. Oh, my.